0: Let's stand for the reading of the gospel. You can read Luke 4, 1 through 13. The holy gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory Glory to you, Lord Christ. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. All right. Well, good morning. good morning. Good morning. Full disclosure, a little frazzled at the moment. Uh, give me a second to get organized here. Um, yeah, totally forgot my notes this morning. Had to, had to go back. Um, and were it not for a bumper sticker that said, be kind, I'm not sure what I would have been doing for the car in front of me who was driving 15 for the last four blocks in front of me. <laughs> Uh, let's pray. Lord, you're good. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for how much you love us. Um, God, we pray that you would be here now, that your spirit would be heavy in this place, that you would bend our hearts and our thoughts toward toward you. Um, would you use your word to draw us closer to yourself? So uh, be with my words. Pray there would be less of me and more of you. Amen. All right. Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. The Fellowship is on a quest to throw the one ring into Mount Doom. They're on their way, but something happens, and they have to divert their plans, and they go into this place called the Mines of Moria, where they find themselves surrounded by orcs. Arrows, uh, it's crazy. They're they're done. They can't do anything about it. But then the orcs scatter, because an even more dangerous foe arises. It's a Balrog. He's this flaming ancient beast, and the orcs scatter, and the fellowship, they're sprinting away, and they run across this little tiny bridge over this huge cavern, and then... But Gandalf turns around, raises his staff, screams, you shall not pass, slams it down, the bridge explodes, the Balrog falls down, the Fellowship is safe, and, and they are free to keep going. Um, okay, Frozen 2. Here we go. I kind of forgot the kids wouldn't be here for this, but that's okay. Roll with me. Uh, Elsa is in this place called Atahalla where she's trying to figure out what's going on with her past and she goes too deep into this magical cave and she's about to turn into a popsicle like frozen solid ice. The last moment she releases a message to her sister Anna who receives the message and then realizes that the only way to restore peace between Arendelle and North Undra is to destroy the dam. So. Anna leaps into action, she goes and she awakens these stone giants, the stone giants start hurling these boulders at the dam, and sure enough, it works. The water is released, but oh no, there is too much water. It's rushing down and it's about to take out the city of Arendelle. But Elsa, at the last moment, thaws out, jumps on this water spirit thing, and then runs, uh, rides to the front of the wave, and is able to use her ice powers to create a wall that diverts the water, saving Arendelle. Whew. We love these stories, right? We, we love these moments in movies and in books when, when everything seems lost where like yeah, there's just no way out. And then something intercedes, some greater power comes in and is just, it just changes everything. Um, I, I, I meant reference J.R.R. Tolkien in Lord of the Rings. He came up with this word called a eucatastrophe. Karen, familiar with it? No. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yikes! Hopefully, I didn't make it up. I found out I didn't make this up. A eucatastrophe uh, is literally that moment in a story or a movie where th- th- it's just impossible; everything is lost. But then, out of nowhere, something comes in, some greater power, and then everything changes. Uh, we see it in all, like Harry Potter, every superhero movie. It, it, we see it all over the place. Uh, but I like what uh, Tolkien said about this this idea of a catastrophe. He says that. Let me see. A sudden and miraculous grace, or this one I really like, a far off gleam or echo of evangelium in the real world. Well, evangelium basically gospel. A far off gleam or echo of the gospel in the real world. So we resonate with with these stories on a really really deep level, um, and we're about to start a series where we're going to kind of look at some catastrophes in the Bible. These moments where everything is bad and everything seems lost, but then God comes in and does something, and everything changes. So that's actually the the title of our series. For I don't, I don't actually don't know how long we're going to be with this, but but that's the the theme is but God. So we're going to look at times when we see that phrase but God in the Bible. Those kind of cool pivot words there. So kudos to Jim for trusting a guest speaker to start a new series. Hopefully, I don't take us totally off the rails. And also kudos for trusting the Young Life Guide to do a series that has the word but in it. I'm gonna do my best no promises all right so we're gonna look at Noah and his account so uh, thank you uh Dante for reading so much we're actually gonna look even uh even earlier uh start before he read so I didn't even make him read six and seven too uh but well uh, basically the world is God created it and then pretty quickly he has to like hold down the power key for a hard reset like it it just went wrong pretty quickly. So Genesis 1 and 2, he creates. Genesis 3 is the fall. Genesis 4, Cain murders Abel. Genesis 5 is like kind of a list of descendants of Adam. And then here we go, Genesis 6, we get the story of Noah. And let's go ahead and look if you've got your Bibles. Genesis 6, 5, and 7, I'm going to read it. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of, of the the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved to his heart, grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the of the land, man and animals, creeping things and birds of heaven. For I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So pretty quickly again things went bad. The NLT actually says that Uh, he saw everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. So this is like, this is the state of mankind at this point, which I think we can kind of relate to today. It just, it feels like this is where we're at right now. Uh, but we get this little thing there. Um, he's going to judge the world. Sorry. He's going to judge the world because of sin and he's going to hit the reset. Um, he chose Noah who he called righteous, um, and he told him that he's going to kind of blot out um, everything from the word. He, like he's kind of plucking Noah out of this messed up world and saying, you're my guy. You're, you're the one I'm going to go with here. Uh, I guess a good question would be why? Like why Noah? Why does Noah find favor um, in his eyes? Was Noah just, did he give more money to the poor? Did he show up to the temple more? Did he offer more? there wasn't even temple at this point. Was he offering more sacrifices? Was he just like, helping more ladies across. like What What about Noah, that he was the guy that got to do this? Um, we actually get a clue here in Hebrews 11, the Hall of Faith chapter. You don't have to flip there, but Hebrews 11, 7 says this about Noah. By faith, Noah, when warned about the things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness uh, that is in keeping with faith. So Noah wasn't just a good guy he wasn't good enough he wasn't like doing all of the right things that he needed to do to curry favor with God Uh, he just he had faith he walked with God and it it wasn't like there were tons and tons of other people who wanted to be with God at this point like the whole world was just bent toward toward destruction and toward evil thoughts Um, no one else was walking with God except Noah here so here we go God gives Noah these instructions really specifically. Here's how to build the ark. Here's the dimensions. Here's what you do. He builds the ark. He tells him, hey, these animals are coming, which, okay. So all of these animals start showing up. He's giving them instructions about that. Um, Noah's super obedient. He builds the ark. It takes him a long time. He gets everything ready. And then uh, God says, hey, it's time to go in. Um, I think it's really strange. It's like a week. They're in the ark for a week before anything happens. There's probably something to that. I couldn't find anything. So then God shuts the door. What did that look like? I don't know. And then, uh, boom, it happens. The rain just starts pouring, pouring, pouring down. And it actually says there's like some underwater caverns or something. Like it's from the deep and from above. It's just this torrential storm from both ends until the whole earth is covered from the highest mountaintop over 22 feet above the highest mountains. That is like we have we have rain here we've had a lot of rain we have we have flood walls so i, I think being in parkersburg we can in somewhat relate to the fear of kind of floods and water but this is this is a a tough big story right like i think it's interesting like you see nurseries that are painted like babies nurseries will be painted with noah ark themes there's lots of like kids books that have like happy little animals on this this little boat like this is this is kind of a really hard story, right? Like like real people died, like the whole earth, everything that breathed was completely wiped out. Um, I think, man, and even like, so Noah, Noah's family was rescued and, and they're on the boat, but even being on the boat, like that was probably no picnic, right? Like. Just being around, first, those eight people for a long time, um, and then, like, not knowing the end of it, like, God's very specific about when it starts, but he was not specific about how it was going to end. Um, I just the, the mental thing of thinking, like, everyone you've ever known is now gone, and what's it going to be like in the future? Like, it's, I, I cannot imagine just what it was like to be on that boat, just, just drifting aimlessly, not able to control it. Um, and he's, I don't know. This is a terrible analogy, um, but you think of like during lockdown. Like I was with my family, and, and we were fine. We had we had food, we had our jobs, we had the internet, we had tiger, we had we had all of this stuff, and and we were fine. And it was it was it was really hard. Like it was just tough being together. And what I think one of the hardest parts was not knowing the end of it. Like. We, you kept hearing plans and things, and then things would change. Like, that, that was one of the toughest parts. So, maybe we can all kind of relate to Noah in a very, very small way there. That just, like, mental hardship of not knowing how and when this is, this is going to end. Uh, you talk about, like, seasonal affective disorder. Like, there was, there was no sun. Like, just <laughs> that in and of itself, I, I think, would be really, really hard. Okay, here we go. Um, chapter 8, verse 1. Pivotal verse name of our series. But God remembered Noah and all the beasts and the livestock that were with him in the ark. Um, And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. So in the middle of this incredibly difficult circumstance, um, here it is, the title But God. Um, It's it's the Eucatastrophe moment. Like Noah could not in his own power fix anything that was happening in his world right now. Who who else could intervene but God? And he does. Um, so uh, interesting, what what does God do? Does God like you look at your Bibles here, but God rescued, but God had mercy on? What did God do? But God remembered. Kind of strange and, and cool, right? Um, now in the Old Testament, when it says God remembers, it means that he's like moving toward that person in a divine act of love. What it doesn't mean is that God forgot. Like that, God can't forget, that's, that's not in his nature. It's an anthropomorphism, to use another big word, that's not Uh So it's like when you give human characteristics to something so that you can relate to it, like Kermit the Frog is a frog who plays the banjo, cracks jokes, like that's, that's not something frogs do. But when Kermit plays the banjo and sings, it's like, oh, okay, I, I can kind of relate to him. Now. It's, it's kind of like that. We give God these human traits so that we can understand uh, in human terms what, what's going on. Um, so here we go. A couple other places where God remembers. Uh, Genesis 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, God remembers Abraham and brought his nephew Lot safely out of the city. In Genesis 30, God remembered Rachel and opened her womb and gave her a child. In Exodus 2, God remembers his people suffering in Egypt And remembers his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So God remembers is in the midst of the flood. He's staying true to his promise here. He didn't, God can't forget. That's not in his nature. It's not what he does here. So, um, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock were with him in the ark. And he made a wind blow over all the earth and the waters subsided. So Here's this this wind that's kind of rushing around over all the earth and it's kind of parallels maybe the first creation when that wind was kind of coming around. Um, and the water starts to recede. The ark parks on top of this mountain which probably not the best place to park but again he could really control it. Uh, and Noah sends out a raven. So the raven it, it says he's if you remember Dante, read it, it's flying around to and fro um, and it doesn't come back. Some people think that this may be because the ravens are scavengers and he was able to like kind of like land on the things that were floating in the water and survive off of, off of those. So then he, uh, Noah, a little while later, he releases a dove. The dove flies around to and fro, back and forth, and eventually it comes back. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, uh, he had a cool kind of spiritual point about this, how the dove didn't find a place to rest. Uh, he explained it like this. Uh, the world is said to be progressing, advancing, improving, but we cannot discover it. The same sin, the same filthiness, the same universally unbounding unbelief that our fathers complained of, we are obliged to complain of still. And we are weary with the world, weary with the 19th century, now 21st, and all its boasted civilization. There is nothing upon which the sole of our foot can rest. So it's this idea that I think I... I feel that, I, I can relate to that. The, just the dove flying over the state of the world not finding a place to rest um, and then coming back to, to Noah. Um, so he sends the dove out again a little while later and this time it comes back with an olive leaf and this is a cool sign that God's season of judgment is now over and, and things are starting to grow again. There's, there's a renewal. Um, we see this dove with, with like an olive branch as a symbol of peace now, we, we use that. Um, interesting uh, Spurgeon pointed out and I had to like correct my notes a couple times uh, it is not an olive branch it is an olive leaf the Bible was really clear on that Spurgeon kind of went off on like doves can't like they can't knock off a branch they can't carry a branch it, it's a leaf so whenever you see those pictures around you can say actually it is a leaf don't do that people won't like it um, okay where we at um, some piece. okay so the dove comes back, and then two more months, God says, verse 14, hey, it's time to come out. Somebody did the math. Uh, Noah and his family were on the ark for one year and 17 days. That is, that's a long time. That's a long time to be in a boat. Um, the first thing he does, which is kind of cool, so Noah comes out of the ark, and the first thing, he builds an altar, and he offers sacrifices uh, to the Lord. Uh, this is kind of wild to me and I hadn't thought about it before I was, I was studying this. Um, every animal at this point is an endangered species. like it's it's wild that you would the first thing you would think to do would be to sacrifice some of these like really really precious animals uh, and that but that's what he does. Um, and God is is pleased. it says the aroma is is pleasing to him. Um, and I, I think this it kind of shows, Know his gratitude and the, the trust that he has in the greatness and bigness of God. That he wasn't just holding on to these couple animals. He saw that man, God is in total control of this whole situation. That I can't mess this up. So he gives this costly sacrifice that pleases God. God renews kind of his covenant. Um, even though people's hearts are, he, God says, I know their hearts are still going to be bent toward evil. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna wipe out the world with a flood anymore. Uh, he tells. Noah to be fruitful and multiply, again, kind of paralleling the, the directive he gives to Adam and Eve. Um, and then he gives us the rainbow, the, the sign of his covenant that he made with, with Noah. Um, it may be important to recognize that Noah's sacrifice uh, that he did when he first got off the that wasn't a, that's not what saved him. Like he didn't do that so God would like keep being nice. He, he did that huge, big, costly thing in response to what God had done. I think that's a, a huge, huge distinction. Um, I think we sometimes, maybe maybe when we give our, our tithes, our offerings, or when we, we try to, I don't know, just w- whatever you're doing, I, we see it in young life, like, I need to go to the school, not so God will like me, so these kids will, will be say, like, that, that is a messed up view of how we should give our, our works to God, how we should serve and love and um, give. Uh, we should do stuff like that as a response to what God has already done, not so that we're going to curry some favor so that God will fix our circumstances and the things that we think God should do for us or the hard things that we're going through. Um, our, our gift sacrifices should be in response to recognizing what He has already done for us. Because Man. I think the big thing is that, like, it's not like he can love you more if you give more money, if you serve more of your time, if you read more of, like, his love for you is like, it's, it's maxed out. Like, if, if you're a cup and God is a pitcher of water, like, it, it's, it's already overflowing. You can't, you can't fit any more in. Your actions, behaviors, good or bad, they cannot make God love you more or less. Isn't that so cool? So we get to do stuff in response to his love and to what he's already done for us. Um, all right, I got off track. Um, okay, so here we go. Let's start to park this ark. Um, all right, so I think this story uh, is important, um, and I think we, we can learn a lot. So we've, we've talked a lot about God's character and who he is, and now we'll, we'll kind of look at maybe some implications for us today. Um this, this account is not really a story about cute zoo animals on a cruise, right? This is a, a real judgment of sin that God executed. This is like real people, real lives, and real death. Um, so that that's one side that we can kind of fall off of, of like, like making it to nursery school. But it's also not this, this other side where we see an angry God who loses his temper and just goes off the rail, like totally out of control, just a vengeful, like I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just mad, so I'm gonna like wipe this slate clean. Like even throughout this whole big judgment that we see, we see grace, we see salvation, we see this, this means of, of life that God preserves. Um, so there's, there's somewhere in the middle there. Um, so I, I wrote this, so I'm gonna read it. Even though God executes justice because of sin, he showed grace to Noah who trusted it and walked with him. Noah's account is a reminder that God judges sinners, but we see his grace throughout. Um, Maybe a couple other things here that that Noah was obedient, um, and it was still, like, hard. Like, God told him what to do, and he built the ark, and then he does all the animal stuff, and he gets on the boat. Um, All of these things, like, Noah does what he is supposed to do, right? Is it easy? No. I think... I think sometimes we have a tendency to think that God is more concerned with maybe our, our comfort and making things easier for us than, than changing our hearts to be more like him. Um, so I think we can get caught up in that and we can know that like, um, it's, it's not really about our like obedience is about who he is. Um, so God doesn't fix our circumstances. Um, but we know he doesn't forget us. That's the thing. But uh, but God remembers. He's, so God doesn't fix our circumstances. We know he doesn't forget us. Uh, we can know this because Jesus, right? That Jesus is real. Are, are you catastrophe? Our story of like things going really bad and then God coming in is even better than Noah's. If you keep reading, we should have made Dante keep reading. If you keep reading like two paragraphs after this, uh, look ahead, what happens? And the very next thing, sin it's, and it's gross and it's bad and it's like, oh man, we, we just had a worldwide flood. Could we go one chapter? but we, we couldn't do it. Um, but our catastrophe is different. So we are separated from God because of our sin, and we are helpless to do anything about it. In our own state, our, our minds, our hearts, they're just they're just bent toward evil and destruction. And on our own, we, we cannot do anything but God. But God loved you so much that he loves me so much that he sent Jesus. He's our sacrifice. He's He's our redeemer. He pays the price that we can't pay. Um, and, man, uh, he's the, Jesus is the perfect Adam. He is the perfect Noah. So uh, 1 Peter 3, 18, you don't need to flip there, but um, it's another point in the Bible where um, Peter is kind of talking about Noah and he's looking at the flood and kind of talking about baptism. This guy Brandon Smith was reflecting on that and he said this, while a wooden ark delivered Noah from physical death, a wooden cross delivers us from spiritual death. Just as Noah obeyed God by climbing onto a boat to save a few, Jesus obeyed his father by climbing onto a cross to save many. Because God is in total control. He started the storm, he stopped the storm, that's, that's his deal. The stuff in your life that feels out of control, we can trust and know God is in control. Um, we need to know that, that God hates sin, that God is a just God, and he will execute justice to sinners, but he also offers grace. That's, that's who he is. Um, also that our obedience maybe um, doesn't equal comfort. Um, Think of the things that you're going through. God doesn't always want to fix our circumstances. Um, he's got, a, again, he is in control. He's got a big plan. And just because things are hard doesn't mean you're being disobedient. Uh, God can still be in control and still loving, even though things are difficult. Um, maybe a landing point would be, think about think about your you catastrophe. Like what what are things in your lifetimes that have been really, really hard and that uh, God in his big powerfulness, kind of came in, and then everything changed. Maybe think of those spiritual markers. Think of a couple of them. Maybe even not your, like, your big turnaround story. Just just things that have happened. It, I think it's good to recall those. And I would challenge you this week: talk to somebody about that. Talk to a friend. Talk to somebody who, who maybe doesn't believe in God, and just tell them like, this is something I went through, and and God is so big, and He loved me so much that He did this for me. Um, so. Hey, thanks for listening. I'm going to pray. God, you're good. We love you. We know that um, we are sinners and that our hearts are just messed up and not bent toward you. Um, But We know that that you love us and that you want us to be in this life with you. So, God, would you come? Would you enter our our hearts? Would you bend our our mind to to you? Uh, Would you help us not just to fix our our behaviors, but to fix our hearts. Would you help us in the things that we think about, the things that that we do? Um, Would we just be able to love love you and and love our neighbors in in a better way? So thank you for this story of Noah, how much we can learn about who you are um, and how you can just intercede in such big ways. So uh, we love you and we pray in Jesus' name, amen.